electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, Joe Biden, the presidential candidate and former vice president on the disparity between the markets and the real economy in the midst of the COVID crisis. The vast majority of American people are suffering right now. They don't measure their public health, their physical uh, security and their economic stability based on the market. His plans to win the progressive vote this November from taxes. We should stop rewarding wealth and start rewarding work a little bit. To energy policies. The way we can create millions of jobs, Joe, is move to a rational policy on global warming. Plus, Biden's bold call for Amazon, taking a tough stance on China, and all the post-game analysis from Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. It's Friday, May 22nd, 2020. Ready, Andrew? Squawk Pod begins right after this. Come on. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod. Good morning, everybody. Happy Friday. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. U.S. equity futures at this hour. What are you doing? I'm just saying this? Andrew's this? right. This is a big, big show today. And I'm just saying you have every well, right to, to, to promote. To actually say that? The, yes, to promote this today. And I'm going to sit back and just nod and say you are absolutely right, Andrew Ross Sorkin. As we'll get to in a second, nobody knows what I'm talking about yet. (laughs) Keep that for the records. Andrew, take it away. And with that tease, uh, we've told you basically every morning for, I don't know, it almost feels like almost maybe months now that we've had had really big guests and really big conversations. And we've Mm -hmm. got another one uh, coming up today. We're going to talk all things economy with the former Vice President Joe Biden about the economy, the pandemic, the race for the White House, and so much more. A big interview to look forward to. Uh, on this Friday, TGIF, it's Friday, guys. I mean, it's every week. I know all the days roll together, but um, here we are, and it's Friday. I thought yesterday uh, meantime, was Friday. Friday. I was so disappointed when I found out it wasn't. It's, it's Friday with three days, right? You remember it's, that? It's a three-day weekend. I think that, that ha- makes it a better Friday. The apparent Democratic nominee for president, former Vice President Joe Biden, uh, joins us on the broadcast. Uh, Mr. Vice President, thank you for joining us this morning. Nice to see you. Um, what a start Happy with the economy and your expectations. Good morning. Uh, your expectations uh, for where things are headed. We are, of course, now at nearly 15 percent unemployment, uh, over 36 million people unemployed. And yet the stock market is um, really where it was last October, as investors are expecting a sharp snapback, a V-shaped recovery. You have economists <laughs> and other advisors in your midst. Does this make sense to you? Do you expect a V-shaped recovery? <laughs> 
No, I don't. But, you know, uh, that old expression, for your lips to, from your lips to God's ears. And by the way, the vast majority of American people are suffering right now. They don't measure their public health, their physical uh, security and their economic stability based on the market. Well, let me ask you this. Uh, you have pledged uh, that if you are elected, that you plan to raise taxes um, on corporations and also high net individuals. Uh, given the pandemic, um, how quickly do you think you would move on that as you try to balance growing the economy and getting people back into jobs uh, with paying for all of the services uh, that we are paying for now as a result of the pandemic? Look, my, my tax policy is based on a simple proposition. We should stop rewarding wealth and start rewarding work a little bit. Let's raise the capital gains tax for people making over a million bucks a year to ordinary income. Let's reverse the Trump tax cut. Imagine we have that if we had that two trillion dollars now as we go into God willing recovery, which is a long way away as I see it right now, which they use to buy back hundreds of billions of dollars of stock. Tens of billions of dollars boost wages for the workers. Did they do that? No. Let's let's use the money to invest in the middle class. You know, almost 40 million Americans have filed for unemployment. And you know what the White House is proposing? More tax cuts for corporate America. I've got a novel idea. How about some relief for Main Street? And this entire recovery program, the entire stimulus has been passed. Several trillion dollars. What was it? What was it done for to keep people employed? to keep people employed. And what's the president done? Fired the inspector generals. The vast majority of the money's gone to the very wealthy and the major corporations. Not a single penny's gone to the Main Street Fund that was set up, not one penny in the last three months. And the PPP, what happens? People are getting locked out. And so look, I mean, we didn't advertise. That's not what it was advertised to do. And the American people are getting a little frustrated, a little frustrated. They're getting extremely, extremely frustrated. And, you know, the president's response to all this has cost lives and it's cost jobs. And the way to fix the economy is get public health response correct and in a structure economy. What we're doing now is upside down. The bigger you are, the faster you get the money. The smaller you are, you don't get the money. And taxes are to build back a better economy, boost it, create a middle class and create jobs, paycheck protection program, health care, confidence come back. Hey, look, I, I just think we, he's got this all backwards, but he doesn't seem to care much about it. Well, let me just ask you, though, about a couple of things that you mentioned and unpack some of this just on the tax front first. And I understand that sure. you want to raise taxes. The question is how quickly you do that in the midst of a uh, in, in the midst of this pandemic and in the midst of trying to get the economy to recover. Nobody making under four hundred thousand bucks would have their taxes raised, period. Bingo. Let's get people back to work. Let's get them to work. Now, look, but here's what the about, deal. Well, what, what about corporations? Tell me, tell me how much tell me how many people are investing that tax break they had in new jobs. Give me your numbers, man. Come on. Let's get real. Well, people are hurting. Well, let me. I, I absolutely I understand I'm that. I'm, I'm trying to just understand. I'm trying to understand as as you're trying to balance these these issues, especially when it comes to corporate taxes, how quickly you move on that, given that we want to get jobs and get people back to work. OK, let me ask you the rhetorical question. What has what jobs have they created if we give them more of a tax cut? The president's talking about a greater tax cut for corporations. You tell me what you think, how many jobs that will create in the next six months. You're the expert. You guys, I'm not being a wise guy. I'm not being trying to be like Trump. I'm not criticizing you. But really, think about it.
Look, the main people need to get back to work. And the idea they're already talking about, you know, the president's phrase, what, what is it? We have time to wait. I mean, they're not even going out and helping making sure that 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 the states have the money to keep their firefighters on the job, to keep the cops on the job, teachers on the job. All of those things that do create income and do generate growth. What are we doing? Let me ask I mean, you. Th- what, and, you know, he's you taking about- every, I'm sorry. <laughs> I get frustrated. Not no, with you, okay. with the situation. Let me ask you this uh, about the bailouts. Um, you know, the bailouts were intended, as you know, uh, to keep people employed. Um, and my question to you is, do you believe that that companies that get bailouts that don't keep people employed? And we're already starting to hear that the airlines after June 30, uh, after I'm sorry, September 30th are going to potentially lay off, lay off people, whether they should still get those bailouts. And, and not only that, whether shareholders should be wiped out and whether effectively some of these companies should be nationalized. You, you, you participated when we did this with the, the automobile companies, um, you know, after 2008, and taxpayers got a piece of those automobile companies. Well, look, the taxpayers are coughing up all this money. And the idea is to keep people employed. How can you tell? Now, the largest employers are small businesses. Collectively, they employ more people, as you know, as well as I do. What is happening to them? What help have they gotten? In the Paycheck Protection Program, what's happened? Amer- I, I see we have American Airlines, Delta Airlines, et cetera, all up there. I got it. But what about those stores along Main Street in those small cities and towns? There's no reason why they can't do a little of both. The biggest corporate bailout in American history is as asking next to nothing of corporate America. And besides that, the president has gone out and fired all the inspectors general. I am focused on keeping people employed, keeping them on a payroll so that when we get to actually recovery, we're, we're now just talking about stimulus to keep things from getting worse. And the idea of, of putting people back to work is going to occur when we begin to really invest in America, when we invest significantly in infrastructure, when we invest in significantly in, 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 in the, all the research and development has to be done to compete with not just China, but around the world. We can, we can build back better, but the more people that are out of all those little small businesses and they go out of work, they, 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 they go out of business, they're out of business. They're gone. And so what why did they why did they pass the two trillion dollar program to and focused on helping keep people employed? What's happened? Mr. Vice President, wanted to ask you about wanted to ask you about the pharmaceutical industry in large part because the Democratic Party, as you know, has long criticized uh, that industry. And now humanity is so dependent uh, on their innovations in this pandemic. So the question I'd ask you and we were talking about uh, some of some of these efforts at vaccines would you look to put price controls uh, on a vaccine or a therapeutic uh, if one's found? No, I tell you what, if one is found, I would make sure that every single person in America is able to get a vaccine, period, without any cost. And I would do the same thing with testing right now. And I'd make, look, we need a health care policy. We need to be able to provide people the ability to stay healthy and get healthy. They're the things we need to do, because all the talk about opening up, 
People aren't going to open up until they have the confidence to know that they gather together. They're not going to get sick. You know, you saw that Columbia study. You saw other studies that if the president acted just two weeks earlier, there'd be 54,000 people more, more people alive than there are today. We have to move. And what do we have to move on? We have to move on making sure that ordinary people who are breaking their neck, people making hourly wages, who are carrying the rest of us on their back in terms of this virus, that they are able to get the kind of medical help they need as it relates to this pandemic. Mr. Vice President, it's, it's, uh, it's Joe Kernan. Thanks for joining us. We appreciate it this morning. Hey, Joe, how are you? I'm great. You know, some Dem pundits, Democratic pundits, sir, say that Sanders and Warren voters are essential for you to win. I know you've probably seen that, but some aren't quite there yet. Others point out, though, that your candidacy surged when it became apparent to mainstream Democrats that Sanders might be the nominee and, and then they flock to you, a more moderate, perhaps, candidate. Are you prepared now to say you're going to govern as a progressive and enact programs in the mold of Sanders and Warren? And if so, what does that say to, to either moderate Democrats or independents or even some Republicans dissatisfied with President Trump? I'm prepared to say that I have a record of over 40 years and that I'm going to beat Joe Biden. Look at my record. The fact is that some areas that I think, for example, I think health care is a right, not a privilege. I do not support Medicare for all. I will not support Medicare for all, but I do support making sure that Obamacare is around with a public option for those who can't afford, those who qualify for Medicaid and they don't get in their state, they would be able to buy, they would be able to be automatically be enrolled in the public option of Medicare. That would, but I do not support a, you know, forgiving debt loan for every single solitary person, no matter where you went to school. But I do support the idea. If in fact you have a student debt as a consequence of going to a public university and your income is under $125,000, it should be forgiven. I do believe that anyone going to school that in fact goes to a public university and or community college, they should be able to go for free if income is under $125,000. My wife has a great expression. Any country that out-educates is going to out-compete us. Mm. We have a whole generation that's being put behind the eight ball, Joe. You know that. They're in real trouble. Well, uh, real trouble right can we, now. Can we talk real quickly just about what one part of our, our ener- or, or, of our economy that's so important, Mr. Vice President? I'm talking about sure. uh, the energy industry. And, and I think about the, the far the progressive wing of the party and the Green New Deal. In recent days, you, you said you would shut down the Keystone Project permanently. We know that the industry is already in dire straits, given what's happening with global demand. I mean, what would we do to preserve? What would you do to try to preserve these high-paying jobs, tens of thousands of high-paying jobs in the energy uh, sector? Would you close down Keystone and and make it difficult? Yeah, look, I was against... I'm sorry, Joe. No, No, I'm sorry, sir. Go ahead. I've been against Keystone from the beginning. It is tar sands that we don't need that, in fact, is in a very, very high pollutant. Number one, I'm not going to go shut down, for example, you know, the, the, they, they talk about all these other programs. The other programs that exist, we're going to transition gradually to get to a clean economy. But the idea of shutting down Keystone as if that is the thing that keeps the oil industry moving is just not rational. Is that, that's, and by the way, it is not economically nor, in my view, environmentally make any sense. But, for example, the whole idea of whether or not we're going to stop fracking, I would not stop.
stop fracking. I'd gradually move away from fracking. I would just not do more fracking on federal lands. I would gradually as move, move us out of the, 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 the position of relying on, on uh, uh, oil and gas, I, I'm, excuse me, and, and coal. Look, Joe, one of the things you've seen is that no one's going to build another coal-fired plant, period, no matter what the law is. Because now you can build a renewable energy or you can build a natural gas plant that works better and is cheaper and can have less, fewer problems. And a lot of the folks who listen to your program every morning, and I listen to it frequently, are already pricing in the price of carbon. That, so, look, the way we can create millions of jobs, Joe, is move to a rational policy on global warming, which I've laid out in detail. And for example, the idea that you want to create good paying jobs, let's make sure over the next 10 years, we put in 550,000 charging stations along the highways we're building back up to deal with the present environmental circumstance we have, as well as new highways. The idea is that we should be investing significantly in high speed rail and rail. We know that we can take millions of automobiles off the road if we do that. We should have a president who's down right now talking with the president of Brazil saying, look, stop burning the air. Amazon. It's the greatest carbon sink in the world. More of what, in fact, you, in fact, absorb every day is it equals every every bit of carbon that we're putting out in the air every day here in the United States. So we're going to get the world to come up with 20 billion dollars to help you all like we did in organizing the rest of the world. And but stop burning the Amazon. You know, there's there's so many things, Joe, that we can do without and, and then create millions of new jobs, good paying jobs that I mean, we should be invest. We, we should become the net exporter of the new technology by investing the 40 billion dollars in the, uh, the, the the 400 billion dollars I'm proposing in research and development for new ways to absorb carbon, new ways to you know, make sure that we can have a, a, a system nationwide that can trans that, that can transmit coal and uh, and and uh, wind across the country. Uh, and so but we're not investing in those things, Joe. We're not investing in any of it. They all create jobs. The biggest employer, fastest growing employer is in the area of solar and wind. And by the way, they don't wind does not cause cancer windmills. Uh, Mr. Vice President, thank you for being with us today. I'd like to talk about an area that our audience definitely cares about. Um, that would be mergers and acquisitions. Elizabeth Warren, who's been mentioned as a frequent potential running mate for you, has said that she's completely opposed to any deals going through right now, whether that be with big companies, with hedge funds, with private equity. And then Amy Klobuchar, who's actually been asked to undergo the vetting process to be a potential running mate for you, has said that she's had problems with the you idea that, of Uber and Grubhub <laughs> teaming up. Oh, well, that's what we've read or heard in the news. But let's just call yeah, them potential running mates because yeah. they were there. I, I just wonder, what are your thoughts on deals at this time? Do you think they should be banned? And are there mergers and acquisitions that bother you? Well, I think that what we should do is we should take hard looks at it, real hard looks, and tell, decide whether or not it's likely to increase competition or reduce competition. And, you know, I, what I, I, I'm not making that judgment now. What I'm saying is I'd have the antitrust department of my administration take a hard look at whether or not these mergers increase the prospect of, of, of growth, increase the prospect of competition, increase the prospect of employment or not. And, uh, but I'm not going to make a blanket judgment on that right now. But it, it's the idea of increased, increased um, labor or increased, increased employment that would be your measure that you'd be looking at all of these through? 
Increased in competition. Competition. Does it limit competition? Does it, is it in fact go against the notion of the antitrust laws we have? That's what I'd be looking at. Mr. Vice President, just following up on that issue, uh, Elizabeth Warren uh, has talked about trying to break up Amazon, a company uh, that so many Americans uh, have become so reliant on and provided essential services during this pandemic. Would you seek to break that company up? I think Amazon should start paying their taxes. Okay, I don't think any company, I don't give a damn how big they are. The Lord Almighty should absolutely be in a position where they pay no tax and make billions and billions and billions of dollars, number one. Number two, I think that companies should be in a position where they start paying their employees a decent wage and protect their employees. And so that's the the whole notion of this is. Are you playing the game fairly like it was set up long before? What what's the capitalist system all about? The capitalist system about everybody doing the uh, having a, a dealing fairly and dealing straight up with the American people and with their employees. We're not investing nearly as much as we should be doing in a whole range of areas. You know, that study that was done by the University of Massachusetts in 2004 to 14, corporate America. And I come from the corporate capital of the world, Delaware, <clears throat> and I'm not anti-corporate. But here's the deal. The idea that they made several trillion dollars and all the studies show that 54 percent went to buy back their stock, 37 percent to make sure their their stockholders got rewarded, leaving 9 percent for research, development, raises, employment, et cetera. Come on, man. That's not the capitalist system. You know, uh, you know, uh, Friedman is not alive and well, but he seems to be running the show here. Mr. Vice President, wanted to ask you also about you, you had referenced municipalities and states, some of which may very well need to be bailed out. The House uh, Democrats have sought to repeal uh, the cap on state and local uh, property tax deductibility, SALT, as you know. Uh, but it would also be a huge tax break on the one percent. What would you do? Well, I, what I would do is I would do what we did before. I would make sure that there's sufficient money in a recovery program to allow states and local governments to be able to maintain essential workers. And that is firefighters, cops, first responders generally, keeping their, 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 their county hospitals open, making sure that the teachers are able to be employed. Because as you know, and you guys know it better than most, that all those states and localities have a requirement to have a balanced budget. They have been clobbered with almost 40 million people unemployed. So they've lost enormous amounts of tax revenue. And the idea that Mitch McConnell, who's a, I've worked with a long time, says, let him declare bankruptcy. Come on. Give me a break. Mr. What Mr. are we talking about? Mr. Vice President, just, I just wanted to, to clear up one more thing for sure. So you're on record. You would repeal the, the Trump tax cuts immediately and then raise taxes even further right away, even if the economy is still... Uh, in the midst of this pandemic? Would you do that if elected? I, I would repeal the $2 trillion tax cut okay. for the folks who are making over a million bucks a year because it's demonstrated, it's demonstrated very little or no growth. Corporations? I would insist. Corporations? The corporate. The, 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 the corporate tax rate, I'd move back to what I had proposed at 28 percent, okay. what we had proposed at 28 percent, because I want to make sure that we see that these corporations, that's not going to take them under. But I would not do in the meantime. Here's the biggest deal. I would stop rewarding through this program that we have, the two trillion dollar program put in place to try to st 
stimulate the economy, I would get the money to Main Street. I would the paycheck protect the, the paycheck the paycheck protection program, the small business program with the Main Street lending program. It's out there with billions of dollars. It hadn't lent a single solitary dollar in over three months. Farmers who are needed to help were told that they haven't gotten any of the money out and is not going to go out until June the 1st. Why is he so slow off the mark? His slowness is costing lives and costing jobs and costing our ability to rebound. Mr. Vice President, a final question. Uh, and it's on the news this morning. Just wanted to get your thoughts uh, and really your thoughts on how you think the United States should react and what you would do if you were the president at this time. Uh, China's legislator, as you may have seen, unveiled a sweeping proposal of new security laws that effectively take a firm control of Hong Kong and, and really crack down on the anti-government uh, protesters. What would you do? I'd be at the U.N. with my U.N. ambassador and I'd be insisting and calling out what the United States has always done. Uh, overwhelming violation, not only of an agreement, but of human rights. The silence on our part where is, has been devastating for people around the world. All it does is encourage thugs and dictators, which, in fact, I think the president has some kind of affinity for. Look at who he embraces and look who he pokes in the eye. The idea that we would remain silent. Look, we have governed not merely by the example of our power, but by the power of our example. That's why the rest of the world has repaired to us. It's the power of our example. And we should not remain silent. We should be calling the rest of the world to condemn their actions. Mr. Vice President, we want to thank you uh, for this conversation this morning. We hope we can <laughs> do it again you. with you soon. Um, well, I hope so, and, too. Uh, I really do. Hope to talk I talk to you again. Thank Absolutely. you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you, Mr. Vice President. Squawk Pod will be right back. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Methane management is a critical part of achieving a lower carbon future. Chevron is taking action to keep methane in the pipe. Their 2028 upstream methane intensity target is set to be 53% below the 2016 baseline. They're committed to evolving facility designs and operating practices. And they've trialed over 13 advanced detection technologies, including drones and satellites. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com methane. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Here's Andrew Ross Sorkin. Former Vice President uh, Joe Biden joining us this morning right here on Squawk Box, uh, talking about taxes and uh, so many other issues, guys, about the economy. And clearly there's going to be a huge debate about taxes on the other side of this pandemic, mm -hmm. uh, whether you raise them and really when do you raise them. Right. Um, in the midst of a crisis, it may be a complicated one, especially mm -hmm. as we, we talked about how do you balance the idea of growth with also paying for all right. of these uh, services and, and rescue efforts that we've undergone. Right. That's, yeah. I mean, anybody that's in, that, in the White House at that point is going to look at the, the, the deficit and look at the revenue that we have from a, a slow economy, and it's not going to be anywhere near what's necessary 
And then you're going to get back to the age-old argument about whether you you try to keep taxes low to to stimulate growth or whether you just tax to, to bring in revenue. I... I, you know what I feel, Andrew. I've always felt that, that the, 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 the companies are the ones that hire people, that, that's the private sector, that, that create the jobs, and they compete globally. Right. So I want to I make it as easy as possible for companies to flourish and, com- and compete globally so that they're able to, to keep people employed, which is why I've never thought that I don't think going back to 28 percent. Right. Is a is a good move. I don't know, rich people. That's different. Well, look, uh, I, that that sit on money. Yeah. That's in a bank. You know, you want to do that fine, but corporations. Yeah, right. it's going to be interesting. I think. I, his- I think a couple things. If the market continue, if, if the market continues apace, I was just going to say on maybe on, on on the wealthiest. And one of his things, by the way, is is capital gains. He's going to make uh, ordinary income taxes. So that's going to be an interesting dynamic. But I think it's going to be a harder argument on 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 the wealthy on individuals. The corporate story is going to be an interesting one because when do, when do you do that? Do you do that? And at some level, you could also argue that in an environment where the government is now offering effectively an insurance policy for all corporations, maybe they should pay for that. The question is, I think, more than anything else would be if you were going to raise taxes, would be yeah. when. You know, energy, too. You right. know, it's so cheap. How, how do you we still use a lot of energy. And if it's cheap and it's a quick, it's going to be hard to to transition to, to more expensive renewables at this time. And as we pointed out, there, it's a it, it's led a renaissance over the past 10 years, fossil fuels. And, and if we're not going to, you know, that's going to be tough to transition to that, too. I still want to know. And I just think uh, dealing with the progressive politicians yeah. uh, on the left wing of the party, how do you bring them in? Because so many of the people who have been considered a potential running mate for right. him or who have been not mentioned as a running mate for him, I-, I think, have kind of gone out there and tried to stake their claims to say that big deals shouldn't get big, shouldn't be done, um, yeah. that there's all kinds of other issues that they're watching and that they're kind of nailing back. They want the big banks investigated for how they handed out PPP. Yeah. And I think how he kind of handles that, and that will tell us a lot about um, what's to come for the future well, business, the, too. The, the conundrum that, that the Democratic Party finds, and that's what I tried to, to encapsulate quickly, that, you know, he can't win without, it's almost like the primary. You know how in the primary a candidate has to go to where the, the yeah. you know, to the most extreme side of things to get elected? And now to win the election, he's got to curry favor with Sanders and Warren people um, but at the same time, you saw what happened when the Democratic Party thought about running Sanders. They were like, they could see that was a no-win situation. Right. And how do you get independence? The if, one thing if, he did stake out is Joe, to say that he is I not for Medicaid for all, Medicare yeah, for all. Not for that. Uh, right. but, I don't Andrew? think that he. I, I'm so, I'm sort of of the view though that he doesn't have to necessarily many. try to appeal. The, the voters that, that that liked Elizabeth Warren or that liked um, do they show up though? Uh, you know that liked Warren. Are not are they're coming with him whether whether well, they well, love they, him or not? In droves, sort of, they got to show up in droves, just like and I think they show up in droves because of their their feelings about the current president more than it, it may not be that they're in love with with you know what I'm saying. Yep. I think that there's a back and forth here. We'll see. Well, we'll see. Um, when I interview Trump, one question lasts about six minutes too, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Uh, and I see that that happens with these guys. They they got certain things that they want to say, and and I wish we we had more time. But the reason we don't have more time is because the answers take so long. Anyway. 
That's the podcast for today. Memorial Day is a market holiday, but we will have a bonus Squawk Pot for you. If you subscribe, it will be in your feed on Monday morning. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. You can catch them on CNBC weekday mornings at 6 a.m. Eastern. And hey, subscribe to and share Squawk Pot. We'll meet you back here on Monday. Have a good long weekend. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.